When Jesus died on the cross, he died to forgive sins. That's true. We should not forget that. But not only that, he died to give us an abundant life. He died to welcome us into a reconciled relationship with God, the Father, and to bring us all into the family of God. Jesus tells us that this relationship that he has with the Father is one that we're being invited into as well, and our access to the Father is through Jesus. This is what's happening here at the cross of Jesus. He's redefining what family is. He's establishing a new family in his blood. He is inviting those who would put their faith in him to, to uh, come into the, the, the family of God. Jesus is creating a new family in his blood. He's establishing a new family. He's inviting people into this family, not just to be saved, catch this, like not just to be saved, not just to have their sin dealt with, but to be, but to be a part of the family of God. Like think about the difference. It's not just that, that, that he, has, he has done what he did on the cross, shed his blood to cancel out and blot out your, your, your sin, but positionally he has taken you from someone who was a sinner someone who was a slave and he has brought you into the household of God and has, has changed your entire identity. Hey, we are in a teaching series uh, where we are looking at uh, Jesus's famous last words from the cross, where we are looking at his last words that he says as he is hanging on the cross uh, before he dies. And so what I want us all to do this morning um, is to just take a second here and just begin to imagine the crucifixion scene in your mind. I want you just to kind of focus on even some of the images that, that immediately come into your mind when you think about the crucifixion of Jesus. And as, you, as you're thinking about that, you know, um, there's gonna be like some familiar things that maybe pop in your mind. You might start to think about, you know, who's there. You might start to think about, you know, the criminals crucified next to him. Some of you might begin to remember that at the crucifixion of Jesus, there was actually a small group of people who loved Jesus and who stayed near the cross, at the foot of the cross, to be close to Jesus as he died. In fact, this small group of people we know consisted of Jesus' own mother Mary, John the disciple, and some other women. And so I want you just to just think about this story, right, in its proper context, because Jesus is dying, he's being crucified, he is suffering here on the cross. There is a group next to him who love him. But in the previous 24 hours, Jesus has been arrested, he has been beaten, he has faced a corrupt trial, and now he is crucified and he is hanging there and he is dying as a criminal would. We know that the religious leaders, we know that the Roman soldiers and the crowds have all come to mock him and to watch him die. All because Jesus said that he was the king of the Jews. All because Jesus said that he was the son of God. And so I want you to think about how difficult it must have been for this small group of people who loved Jesus to remain that close to the cross, close enough to hear Jesus speak to them. It uh, had to be pretty difficult, right? This is not a very easy situation. This is not a very comfortable situation for them to be in. Think about all the mockery they would have had to endure. Right? As they are surrounded by groups of people who all hate Jesus and want him to die. I was thinking about this story and thinking about how 
sometimes drawing in and being near God is not easy, and sometimes it's not comfortable, and sometimes it's even painful to come near to God. But one of the things I've learned, and one of the things I think this story shows us is that, is that to, in order to come near to God, you have to go to where God is. And what we see happening in this story is those who are his followers, those who are his disciples, most have, have uh, abandoned him. Most have ran in the opposite direction, but there, are, uh, there is a small group now who refuse to leave his side. And sometimes, in order to come near to God, you really have to push past what's uncomfortable and push past what is not easy. And you have to go to where he is. And this is what we see happening in this story. This is what we see going on with his own mother, Mary. This is what we see going on with the disciple whom he loved, named John, and what we see going on with all of these other people who were with them there at the foot of the cross. Now, it is in this context, right? it is in this moment at the crucifixion where Jesus famously looks at his own mother and he says to her, dear woman, here is your son. And then he turns and looks at the apostle or the disciple John and he says, and here, here is your mother. This is what we're gonna look at today. In this message this morning, I want us to go deep into looking at those words and what they really mean and why Jesus would even say them at all. And today what we're gonna be doing is, if you're taking notes, looking at how at the cross, Jesus redefines family. At the cross, Jesus redefines family. There's a famous story out of Spain years ago where a father and a son became estranged from each other. Apparently the son had ran away and the father had gone off to find him, but after several months he could not find his son. And so in a last sort of desperate effort to find him, he took out an ad in the Madrid newspaper. The ad said this, it said, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The story goes on to say that on that Saturday, more than 800 young men, all named Paco, showed up. All of them looking for forgiveness and love from their father. You see, there is just something about coming home, isn't there? There is something about the love of a family that we all long for. How many of you would, would say that family is a pretty big deal? Right? I see some heads nodding. I see some not, so there's probably some of you. But there is no denying that, that family uh, is a big deal, the importance of family in our life. There's no denying that. For some of you in here this morning, Family has some really positive connotations. Like you love the family you grew up in. And so this idea, when we talk about you know, being a part of the church and being part of the family of God, like it's, it's actually like, like, sounds pretty incredible to you. You like that idea. For others of you, the word family is not as positive. You know what family is maybe meant to be in theory, but practically your family of origin was not so great. I think this is why so many people with that type of experience, struggle to pray to God as their father, right? There is just a, a diff, it's difficult to, to, to connect with God like that if you've come from a family of origin where 
it wasn't quite as positive. How many of you have ever wished you could pick a different family? Anybody ever wished that, right? You ever, you ever just uh, thought to yourself, man, if I could have just been born into a different family, it would have all been different. Anybody ever thought, ever wished you could just get yourself a new family? A lot of people probably feel this way around the holidays, you know, like, especially, that's probably, that's probably like the traditional conversation in the car ride home from your relative's house. Like, how did we end up with these people? You have any memories of, of, of being a kid and like wishing one of your siblings away? Like, you know, I think a lot of people probably have a story like that. If that's you, I got good news for you. As I already said, Jesus redefines family. Of course, I am uh, trying to be humorous and I'm joking. There's a lot of truth in what I just said, though. At the cross, Jesus really does redefine family. He's not replacing your family, but he's redefining your family. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to look at this thought with me. No matter your experience with family, all of us long to be in healthy, life-giving relationships. In other words, like we long to be known and cared for. We long to have friendship. We long to be seen. We want to know, are there people who really love me? Are there people who know me? Do I have a purpose for my life? And do I have a community of people to do this with? And then what happens is even as I begin to have a restored relationship with God where I, where I know that Jesus loves me and that I've been invited into the Father's house and that I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, there is still this longing that exists inside of me and exists inside of you for fellowship and communion with other people. Classic example of this is in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, who could have had a more, a more connected, perfect relationship with God than Adam? who would walk with God in the cool of the day like he did? Who could, I mean, who, who could have had a more perfect union with God than him? And yet, and yet God looked at Adam and said that it's not good for man to be alone, that even in this perfect relationship, there was something that was missing. There was something that was not completely fulfilled by God himself. We are made for relationship and we are made for a family. And so here's what happens at the cross if you're taking notes. Jesus establishes a new family in his blood. He establishes a new family in his blood. John chapter 19 and verse 23, it says this. It says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom, Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided uh, my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's at least three Marys at the foot of the cross. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. First of all, you know that the Apostle John wrote this, right? And he's talking about himself. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now, if you were Mary in this story, 
And there's a chance that at first you might think that Jesus is just simply referring to himself when he says, dear woman, here is your son. Telling his mother to behold him maybe. Saying to her, here I am, like here is your son. But Jesus is not referring to himself here in this story. He's referring to the disciple named John. And what's happening here in John 19 is that Jesus is actually changing the relationship between Mary and John. Previously, they, they were, you know, fellow followers of Jesus, fellow disciples of Jesus, and now they are mother and son. Interestingly, you know, Jesus chooses John and not any of his biological brothers for this task. In the first century Jewish culture, if the oldest son would die, the other sons would now be responsible to take care of their mother. But Jesus isn't giving his mother to his biological brothers, is he? He's giving his mother to John. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to forgive sins. That's true. We should not forget that. But not only that, he died to give us an abundant life. He died to welcome us into a reconciled relationship with God, the Father, and to bring us all into the family of God. Jesus tells us that this relationship that he has with the Father is one that we're being invited into as well, and our access to the Father is through Jesus. I like what Rich Villita says. He says that the kingdom of God flows out of this recognition that the gospel is not just about saving souls, but also about creating a new family. Also about creating a new family. This is what's happening here at the cross of Jesus. He's redefining what family is. He's establishing a new family in his blood. He is inviting those who would put their faith in him to, to uh, come into the, the, the family of God. There's a real helpful parallel story in Mark chapter 3. It takes, a lot, uh, it takes place a lot earlier in Jesus' ministry. I want you to notice what's happening with his mother, Mary, and Jesus' brothers in this story. Because at this point in Mark 3, Jesus has been walking around and teaching for a while. He's been performing miracles. He's been proclaiming you know, uh, the kingdom. He's been telling people that the kingdom of God has come near. And he is, without a doubt, he's growing in popularity. It says in Mark 3, verse 20, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he's out of his mind. All right, so, so think about what Jesus is doing. He's going around, he's performing miracles, he's proclaiming the kingdom, he's, crowds are following him. His family says, we've got to go get him. We've got to go pull him aside and talk him out of what he is doing. He's lost his mind. So this includes his mother, this includes his brothers at least. It says in verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Not an easy text to read, not an easy text to teach, not an easy one to stomach. Let me just, let me just say something here. How would you have liked to have been Jesus' brother? You know, like, don't you think, I mean, your whole life, like, couldn't you be more like Jesus? You know, like, how would you have liked to have been his 
brother. Like, it's not, it's not like an easy task here, right? Like, like, you're always, like, coming up short. But in the story, what we see going on here is, is something really, really, really interesting. He is saying that those who are obeying him, those who are drawing near to him, right, those who are identifying with him and listening to him are actually his family, not his mom and brothers who are outside. And that obedience to the Father's will is, is a marker of his family, doing the will of God. It's interesting contrast to the previous story where we see all of his disciples have scattered except for just a few who are there at the cross. And then we see in Mark 3 that his family is actually outside. They're not close. They're not near him. And he's saying like those who are here, right? Those who are doing the will, the will of the Father, those who are here in this room are my mother, my sister, and my brothers. Now, at first, this seems pretty odd. It feels kind of weird for Jesus to say this. It seems a bit disrespectful. It doesn't seem very honoring for him to talk about his family like this. Like if you were going to tell your mom, you know, that she's not your mom anymore, like that's how it feels, right? That's what's going on here. Uh, if you were to go to your mom and say, like, you're not my mom anymore, and in fact, this other person over here is now my mom, um, at best that feels unkind, but it, it really just feels disrespectful, doesn't it? Think of a toddler who gets mad at their parents and says, you're not my family anymore. I think this can often be how we read these verses. Very confused at like, why Jesus would say what he says here, but this is not how these verses are meant to be understood. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that biology is not what brings you into God's family. Rather, it is when you are doing the Father's will and, leave, and living in obedience. Marshall Hoffman says it like this. He says, let a burning desire to do the will of God grip your life. Would you like to be a family? Would you like to be like a sister or a brother to Jesus, let a burning desire to do the will of God grip your life and you will have something in common with other disciples that is stronger than ties of flesh and blood. Jesus wants you in God's family. He is inviting you into God's family and he's saying that the way to do that is to obey God's will. The Apostle Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul describes the family of God like this, when he speaks to the church in Ephesus, writes to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter two, he says, for through him, through Jesus, right, we, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but now fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So what Paul's doing here, right, is he is reminding the church in Ephesus that Jesus has joined people together who, in the past, they really had nothing in common. They were foreigners and aliens, strangers. He says, he says now, like, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So those of you who were previously foreigners and strangers and aliens to one another, nothing in common, you've now been brought together. In ancient times, there were significant tensions between the Jews and the Gentiles, not only along the lines of race, but along the lines of religion and economics, social status. 
And so what Paul is doing here is he's highlighting that in the grand scheme of things, God wants to join Jew and Gentile together and that something has now happened in Jesus Christ that the barriers that previously separated them have come down. So much so, Paul tells them, you're no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, but now you are fellow citizens with God's people. You are now all members of God's household. That the things that once separated us no longer separate us. That no matter where you're from, no matter where you grew up, no matter your education, no matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter the color of your skin, you do not have to live as foreigners and strangers anymore because the barriers have come down in the name of Jesus. Look at this, look at this thought with me here on the screen. Like The gospel is not just this bridge that gets us to God. It is that, but it's not just this bridge that gets us to God, but it is a sledgehammer that tears down the walls that separate us. That's what the gospel is. Jesus doesn't just gather people based on their Enneagram number, right? He doesn't just gather people based on their likeliness to get along. He doesn't just, just you know, gather people based on how much they have in common with each other. Jesus gathers people who on social, political, and personality levels have nothing in common. Have nothing in common. That's what I love about the church. That's why I'm a fan of the church. That's why I believe in it. That's why I believe it is the hope of the world. Like, where else, where else in your life would you sit in a room with, with people made up of the ones like this in this room right now? Where else? Because we are not gathering here today because we have all kinds of stuff in common. We're not gathering here today because, because we all have similar, you know, social economic status. We're not gathering here today because, you know, you know uh, I like this and you like that. You know, like, like, like we have these kinds of things in common and, and you know, all of our families are similar. That's not, that's not why we're gathering. We gather here because what we have in common is Jesus. He brings us together. Galatians chapter three. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says, you are all sons of God. How? How are you sons of God? How are you his kids? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, your, clothed yourselves with Christ. So look at verse 28, very famous scripture. So now there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs. If you're an heir, you're family, aren't you? Scripture teaches us that we are not just heirs, but that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are part of the family of God. And so now, because of Jesus and what has happened on the cross, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's not these separate groups. There's, there's not slave and free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And so look at this thought if you're taking notes today. The Spirit of God makes a family out of people who are very different from each other, and all they really have in common is Jesus. All they really have in common is Jesus. In your biological family, you might have some similarities with your relatives. That might be true, whether you like it or not. You might have heard someone tell you, man, you're just like your father. You, know? you might have some similarities with your relatives. And even though you don't, you don't get to pick your family, you might have some things in common with them. If you're here this morning and your family is, is perhaps broken, which many are, 
Society's solution in those situations is to instead find family in your friends, right? So if your family of origin wasn't great, that you can basically choose your family based on your friends. Like the irony in that is that we end up picking people who are a lot like us. People who like the same kind of coffee we like, same coffee shops, the same, you know, whatever it is, or they, they like to dress the same way as us, similar styles, similar, similar interests, the same style of music. We have, you know, kids of the same age, you know, season of life. And so we pick people who look like us. We say, this is my family. But in the, but in the family of God, it's just, it's just not like that at all. It's not like that at all. In fact, look at this thought. In Jesus, a new human family is possible. Like, like Jesus doesn't bring us together based on our likeness. He actually brings us together with all of our differences and brings us together with one commonality, and it's the blood of Jesus that has saved us and changed our life. In Jesus, a new human family is possible, and I think this is what the world's really longing for. Like, honestly, like, you look out and you try to assess what's going on. I think this is what the world really longs for, this new human family. Jesus, like, like his open invitation for people to come and be a part of his family. When you go on social media, you don't, you don't see this new human family that has been created in Christ Jesus, do you? You don't see that. I think what we see is a world that is longing for it, though. Mother Teresa famously said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Over the last 15 years, I'm sure you've seen this in survey after survey after survey, that in, that in parallel with the rise of social media, the number of people who mark lonely or that they don't have a close friend or family member to connect with has skyrocketed all throughout our nation. It can be easy to miss in the digital age. We have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and email and text messaging and FaceTime and all these things that are meant to connect us. Yet what we see on social media over and over and over again is not people coming together, but people taking sides. What we don't usually see, especially on you know, social media, but in, even in the, in the mainstream media, are the kinds of human relationships that move beyond the categories of polarization and division. We don't see those kinds of relationships very often. But the world is actually, in my opinion, is longing for human relationships that will move beyond tribalism and the things that divide us. And that's what Jesus does. In fact, look at this thought. At the cross and in his blood, Jesus is creating a new and different type of family that is based on those who are near him and obeying him. That's what's happening at the cross, a new and different type of family. Fleming Rutledge says this, she says, by rewriting the covenant in his own blood, Jesus has done something completely new. In giving his mother to the disciple, he is causing a new relationship to come into existence that did not exist before. The disciple and the woman are not individual people here. They are symbolic. They represent the ways that family ties are transcendent in the church by the ties of the Spirit. That is why Jesus calls his mother woman in the Gospel of John. He's setting aside the blood relationship to create a much wider family. Because in God's family, the Spirit is actually stronger than DNA. I realize, I realize what I'm saying, and I know that that can sound disrespectful and it can, it can step on some toes a little bit, but, but really, what, this is what Scripture teaches, that, that the Spirit is stronger than DNA. 
that this new birth we experience in Christ is meant to produce a stronger connection to people of that same kind of birth than even with those who come from the same birth origin as we do. Being born by the Spirit, being reborn by the Spirit, becoming a child of God, it allows you and I to become a part of this transcendent family. Barton says it like this. He says, in Christ's greater family, the church, fellow believers may, may be more of a family to us than our blood relatives. I don't know if you've ever, ever felt that before. I can think about some different relationships I've had in my life over the years, and it's amazing to me. I, I, I have friends that I know, even from high school, friends that I know, even beyond that, uh, people who I've known for a very, 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 very long time, and then I have some relationships that have started much later in my life that have been primarily uh, centered around this commonality in Christ, and I just want to tell you, like, there is something different about those kinds of relationships. They, they go deeper. They feel different. They, they uh, create a sense of family that is even, even deeper and stronger than relationships that have existed longer. Uh, the ties that bind our hearts together in common commitment to, to Jesus, our Savior, are often stronger than ties of flesh and blood. You know, we often hear the phrase that blood is thicker than water, and that, very, that may very well be true. But in the family of God, what you have to understand is that spirit is stronger than blood. Mary was not biologically the mother of John, and John was not genetically the son of Mary in the literal sense of the word here in the story, right? In the family of God, they were bound together with stronger cords than the flesh could provide. Listen to me this morning, really careful. I gotta teach this really carefully, everybody, okay? We are not a cult. Hey, like, you got to understand what I'm saying here today. Some of this stuff can be misunderstood. We're not a cult. I'm not telling you to abandon your families and, you know, for us all to come live in some compound with barbed wire. Like, that's not what we're talking about here today. Like, what I'm saying is that, is this thought on the screen, that your family of origin is very, 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 very important. It's not to be replaced. But you should know that through Jesus, your family has gotten a whole lot bigger. That's what you should know. It's gotten bigger. And that this family matters. That this family matters. Like, like why, do we, why do we encourage you to participate? Why do we encourage you to attend? Why do we encourage you, you to be a part of the life of, of, of the church? Well, because, like, your family's gotten bigger. And, and you know, family's messy. Every family has, has, has messy elements to it. And, and uh, we have things that we wish we could avoid and things we don't want to get involved in. But in this family, like, like the, re- the reason why like, like we do certain things, the reason why we help certain people or, or you know, we, we, we even sit next to certain people or get involved in people's messes is because this is our family. And we don't want to just avoid the needs of our family. We want to press into those things because this is the kind of family that Jesus has created in his blood at the cross. Jesus is building an eternal family that's not just your biological family. It's not just that. Theologian Jay Dongle says it like this. He says, the newly constituted family unit symbolizes for us the new family of God made possible through the death of Jesus. A family binding men and women together in mutual caring. A family crossing over natural family ties. A family arising out of a common faith in the one who died. 
guys can go ahead and come on up. Jesus is creating a new family in his blood. He's establishing a new family. He's inviting people into this family, not just to be saved. Catch this. Like, not just to be saved, not just to have their sin dealt with, but to be, but to be a part of the family of God. Like, think about the difference. It's not just that, that, that he, has, he has done what he did on the cross, shed his blood to cancel out and blot out your, your, your sin, but positionally he has taken you from someone who was a sinner, someone who was a slave, and he has brought you into the household of God and has, has changed your entire identity. You're, you're part of the family of God now, which allows you to then inherit from God the things that he has. And I just, I just want to tell you today that God's family is open to everyone. It's open to everyone. It's not exclusive. It's open to everyone. Like, like no matter your sin, no matter your addictions, your hangups, your past, your present, none of that keeps you from being welcomed into the family of God. And because of Jesus, because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, those who are on the outside can be brought to the inside. Those who are on the outside can, can be brought into the family of God. I remember growing up, as a pastor's kid, I remember in our, in our church, every time the holidays would roll around, um, I have many, many, many memories of having people at our house who were not a part of our biological family. In fact, my parents often would just make this open invitation to people and just say, hey, you know, if you don't have a place to be, you don't got some family to be with, like, come be with us. And so I remember in our house being like tons of tables set up, all kinds of food, people even, you know, grew up in Arizona, so we'd have some tables even on the patio out there. And um, uh, yeah, we, so we had good, good weather, and, um, but all kinds of different people showing up at our house, eating a holiday meal with us. Why, why, would they, why would my parents do that? Why would they allow that to happen? Because that's what family does. That's what family does. And what's interesting about that story, like those, those examples, is that our, our house wasn't even necessarily big. It was actually pretty small. So I remember like having to move furniture out of the way. We'd bring, you know, like these, these folding tables, like those, uh, those long like six-foot tables. We'd bring like a bunch of them and we'd just line them like one huge table and and, uh, you know, crossing into multiple rooms and people just there and, and, and uh, all sitting together. My, ha- my parents' house, like, wasn't big. In fact, in, uh, in November when I, when I drove with uh, Austin uh, down to San Diego, or Tijuana, uh, we drove all the, all the uh, Christmas presents down there. Uh, we actually drove through the Phoenix area, and I stopped, took him on, like, a, a, a ro- like a, I don't know, uh, a tour of my hometown, and uh, wasted an hour. I'm sure he appreciated that. And, and I'm like super excited. I'm like, dude, look at this and look at that. And we drove by the house I grew up in and the basketball hoop still stands that I schooled my brother on all those years. Uh, I remember looking at this house and, you know, it always maybe feels bigger when you're a kid, you know? And I, I remember looking at it and being like, wow, like it's not that big. Like it's actually, it's actually pretty small. And uh, it was in that house, right, that I remember my parents just clearing out furniture setting up tables, letting people come over, anybody who didn't have someone to be with. And even though it wasn't a very big house, my parents had plenty of spaciousness in their heart. It wasn't about like the size of the room, it was about the size of, of their heart. And so 
we have to recognize that there is a spaciousness in the family of God. There is room for others in the family of God. Because in the family of God, there is always food on the table. Always. There's always food on the table. In the family of God, there is always shelter for someone who needs shelter. There's always shelter for the lost. In the family of God, there is always love for someone who is broken, someone who is struggling, someone who just does not know what to do right now. There's always room for that because there's family. And the reason why this matters is, is because I believe that church is meant to be the best representation of the family. It's meant to be the best representation of the family. Not just corporately, per personally and individually as well. Like we're meant to model and live out what family really is all about, like to take care of our families and to, and to uh, you know, follow Jesus together, to be godly men and godly women who raise godly kids and all of that, to, to model for the world what a family is meant to look like. And to, you know, uh, I, I think the family unit, right, is, is meant to really uh, radically affect and change so much of the problems that are going on in our world today. If you just fix the family, you'd probably fix a lot of those problems. But it's not just that. It's not just like your personal individual family. Like, like we are a family. And as we come together and as we do life and family together, we together have an effect on what is going on in the world around us. We're meant to be the best representation of the family. So like, what do you need? What is going on? Like, I, I got time for you. I'm not too busy. What's happening in your life? Like, how can I come alongside? Like, what's going on? Like, I actually care. I've got a few more minutes. So what's happening today? Like, we're a family, and, and that's what Jesus creates in his blood on the cross. He redefines it, and he says, family isn't just, like, who you share DNA with. Family is whoever is doing the will of God. Family is whoever has drawn near God and come near him to know him and has decided to walk with him and follow him. And so the amazing thing about that is, listen to me, all across the world today, there is family that you have who are gathered to worship Jesus. And they are from every tribe and every tongue and every nation on the planet. They are our family. And the reason why we get bothered and worked up when we hear of like tragic stories of people losing their life in the name of Jesus isn't just simply because that's horrific, which it is, it's because that's family. Like those are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus has redefined who our family is. And we get, we get bothered when we hear those things, not just because it's wrong, but because that's our family. And when we hear about needs going on around the world, we don't just like move to action because it's humanitarian. We move to action because it's family. The church is meant to be the best representation of the family that there is. And here's why. Last thought, it's because the family of God is formed at the foot of the cross. The family of God is formed at the foot of the cross. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your heads here for a moment as we get ready to close? Father, I ask in this room right now that you would start to do something very unique 
God, I pray you'd start to breathe something on this church that is strategic for our time. God, I pray that you would birth in us this new idea, this new revelation of what family is all about. And God, I pray that these just wouldn't be people that we go to church with. We wouldn't just see it that way, but we'd understand positionally who we are in your family, what that means, what that means for us to be kids, to be your children, to have inheritance in the kingdom of God. But I pray, God, it would also cause us to function naturally in this life with people around us in the church differently than maybe we have in the past. I pray there would become in us even a greater value for the church, for our friends here who are trying to serve you as well, God. Would we, would we just find that the priorities and the attitudes around family are shifting and that we have, through the blood of Jesus, such a big, bigger family than maybe we realize. And God, show us how to step into that. Show us how to, how to, how to how, like what that means practically. God, show us how to walk that out in our lives. And God, we give you thanks and praise. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.